26 as we get back into our series of King Jesus as we um, had last week off and um, again the Lord had just laid on my heart to kind of update where we're at as a church as far as um, the vision uh, of uh, to press in and to press on and and how again we were entering into that week of prayer and fasting and guys again man um, just thank you guys for for praying and many of you guys fasting even though you weren't here and many many of you guys were able to do that at home and pray with us and pray for this week and and God was just amazing and just showing us who he is and what he wants and so I can't wait as I pray this thing through uh, and see what God has for us and so I'm excited um and so back in, in our text here, as we're in Matthew t- chapter 26, we, we have come to the Tuesday night of the week of Passion, and Jesus' hour has now come. The, the, thir- or the Thursday, I said Tuesday or Thursday? Tuesday. Did I say Tuesday? No, we're on Thursday. Thursday night of the week of Passion, I'm sorry. Because, again, as we are now in, on the Thursday of the Passion Week, it is known as Monday, Thursday. Not Monday, Thursday, but Monday, um, Thursday. The word Monday is a Latin word, mandatum, mandatum, or something like that, which means mandate or command. And, And it stems from the reference that Jesus makes while they're in the upper room on that Thursday evening when, when he is about to institute or as he institutes the Lord's Supper and or communion, however you want to use that phrase. But he says something to his disciples. And again, he's just gathered with his boys, with his guys in the upper room. And he says this to them in John chapter 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. And he goes on to say, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples the way, uh, in the way you love one another. I'm paraphrasing because it wasn't on my notes. But it has been a busy, busy Tuesday or Thursday. If I say Tuesday, you know I'm talking about Thursday, okay? I'm going to get this all messed up if I keep on using those. But it's, it's been a busy, busy Thursday already for Jesus and his disciples. As we, we learned a couple of weeks ago, he had sent uh, two of his disciples, which happened to be Peter and John, into Jerusalem to get everything ready for the Passover meal. And again, they had to go get all the fixings, everything that was needed, and there were specific things that needed to be uh, gotten and, and had at this meal. And so they went and they did what Jesus told them to do. And he tells them exactly what to do, where to go, and who to look for. And so they go and they find everything the way Jesus told them. And now they have come together for this evening. And it is a special time. And it will be indeed a special time for these disciples as just the 12 with Jesus. Jesus would be teaching them some very important lessons especially on humility as we looked at a couple of weeks ago when he washes the disciples' feet. And it would be right after that and after the Passover meal or right during, during or right after the Passover meal that Judas would leave before Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Or communion. And so we're in chapter 26, beginning in verse 26. And he says this And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. For the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, They will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, As surely I say to you, that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Father in heaven, please bless your word. Thank you for the privilege of reading it, Lord. Help me to expound on it, Lord, and to to teach it with clarity. And help my brothers and sisters to have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I shared with you the last time when we were in this text that over in, in, in Luke's gospel... Jesus tells the disciples with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, it wasn't because he was so looking forward to the suffering that was coming. That that wasn't the case of why he says that, that I'm so looking forward to, to having this time with you before I suffer. He understood what the sufferings that he would have to go through would accomplish. Now, now, what he was longing for, actually, was putting in place this new covenant that he talks about here. And it would be sealed with his own blood. He understood all the suffering. He understood everything that was about to happen. And this new covenant could not be put in place unless there was blood. But it wasn't going to be the blood of animals any longer. That's what the Old Covenant was all about. The Old Covenant required blood, and it always took an innocent lamb or bull or goat or whatever it was, but the lamb had to be shed so that people's sins would be covered. But he says, no, 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 no. What I'm looking forward to is is placing this new covenant, and it will be in my blood. And as they were eating... It says, as they were eating, the Passover meal was not one of those kinds of meals that you would finish in five minutes like I normally do. My wife, all day long, cooking, lays out the spread and it's gone like that. And she's like, can you just kind of chew it and and savor it? And it's like, don't bug me. Like, you know. You know, I, I mean, I'm sure some of you ladies or some of you cooks, I, was, I should say, go, man, I slaved over, and you, you, you wolfed it down so fast. Well, the Passover meal, you couldn't do it like that. The Passover meal, it, it, it kind of took some time. There was, there was reading, and, and there was singing, and there was prayers that were said, and there were stories. And so this, this meal went on for quite a while. So as they are eating, throughout this time, Judas had been a part of the foot washing, but he had also been a part of the Passover meal. And he had partaken of that meal. And at one point in that meal, during the meal or right after the meal, he goes to do what he had to go do or to go do what he already had planned. Jesus was about to do something that he had not done before. But Judas couldn't be there for that. Jesus Jesus starts sharing some stuff with them, and Judas cannot be a part of that. Because this thing that Jesus is about to, to institute, this, this Passover, or not the Passover meal, but the, the, the Last Supper, as we would call it, was not for Judas. It was only for, for those who would be following after Jesus. And that's why Judas is there in the beginning. But when we get to this portion of Scripture... He is not there. And I know that there's people that debate that because some of the Gospels kind of going, wow, doesn't it say this, doesn't it say that? But this was not for for Judas. Jesus has already 
told everybody what's about to happen, and he gives them the, the, the bread, and he jams, and he, he goes and takes off to go do what he's already planned to do. Because what Jesus is about to institute, the Lord's Supper, communion as we know it as well, is not for the unbeliever, but for the believer. And so Judas is no longer there. And Jesus, it says that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to his disciples. He also took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them. Jesus takes these two elements that were part of the Passover meal. The unleavened bread and one of the four cups. There was usually four cups that were associated with the Passover meal. And he would take one of those cups. It was probably the third or the fourth, one or the other. But it wasn't in the beginning. It was towards the end. And he uses these two elements that they had at every Passover meal. But this time he does something different with them. As he takes the unleavened bread, and the unleavened bread, again, symbolizes that there was no sin. (laughs) There was no leaven in this thing because they had to rush off of Egypt. And so it wasn't this loaf of bread. It was this cracker type of bread that he could break it. And he uses these two elements as a picture of his death. His disciples had never heard anything like this before at any of the Passover lamb, uh, Passover meals that they had had with him before. This one probably being the third, possibly the fourth, that they have all shared it together. Jesus had been telling them about his pending death. He's been preparing these guys for this time. And now he's talking with these two elements in his hand, and he's basically giving them some visuals. Take this bread, and he breaks it, and he hands it to them, and then he takes the cup, and he blesses it, and he, he says, here, take this and drink from it. Now, it's interesting because the disciples had heard him talk about this before, but never at the Passover meal. You see, we, we see Jesus talking like this about the bread and the, and, and the, the, the wine or the blood. Uh, he, he talks about this in, in John chapter 6. And I want to read to you a portion of that um, in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 47 to 59. Because at this time that Jesus is, is, is sharing about this, he is talking to, to Jews He has just fed 5,000 people in this chapter, chapter 6. And and after he feeds them and ministers to them in the physical sense, as they come back for more food, he now begins to start speaking to them in a spiritual sense and about becoming more intimate and going deeper with him. And so he's not talking about physical, but he's talking about spiritual. But these Jews can't quite comprehend that. And again, I totally understand it because, again, they're living in the moment. And we'll see what what they are thinking in verse 47. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, from uh, that, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me 
will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And so we see that Jesus talked about earlier in his ministry about his his flesh and his blood. But now he is together with his disciples in this intimate moment. they've, They've partaken in the Passover meal, as our text says here. They've been in that moment, and Jesus is now talking to them in the spiritual sense and not in the physical sense. He took the unleavened bread, and he took the cup, which is the fruit of the vine, and, they, and, and he uses it to represent his body and his blood. Now, our text in no way, shape, or form indicates that anything special and or mysterious happened to these two elements. They, they, they remained unleavened bread, and they remained the fruit of the vine, the bread did not become his actual body. And, the, and, and the, the fruit of the vine did not become his actual blood. And I know many of you guys are going, yeah, why would it? Because there are those who believe that when they partake of, 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 of communion or the Eucharist, as they would call it, that as they lift it up and break it and bring it down, it actually becomes the, the, the body of Christ. And as they raise up the cup and bring it down, that it actually becomes the blood. And in no way is that happening. We did not pray over these elements, and there's actually flesh and blood. It is, yeah, thank God somebody said it. It is crackers and juice, grape juice. They are symbolic of his body and of his blood. But these two elements that we get to partake of, they take on and they convey a deeper meaning for those who abide in him and those those whom he abides in. They are special in that sense. Because again, if you're here and and it passes by and you just get the cracker and you're not a believer, it's just a cracker. You're going, why so little? (laughs) What? Not even going to quench my thirst, Brostein. But we do this in a symbolic fashion because we understand what this means, that it's not the actual blood and body of Christ. Luke's gospel, along with the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 11, tells us that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He does not say, hey, do this because it actually is me. He is saying, no, you do this in remembrance of me. And Paul continues to say in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till I come or till he comes. You see, the Passover and all the meaning of the Passover, everything about it, it pointed towards and it looked ahead to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the Lord's Supper announces that that work, that great work was actually accomplished when Jesus is sitting down right here administering to it, uh, administering it to the people as he is instituting it, if you will, that that great work was accomplished because Jesus says, here, take my body and take my, my blood. The Lord's Supper does look back to the Passover lamb, to the lamb of God. And his finished work over sin and death. But at the same time, as we remember what he's done, we also look forward to his return as he returns as the Lion of Judah in power. As his body and his blood in the beginning at his first coming would, would take care of sin and death and, 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 and have victory over sin and death, in the end, it will finally and eventually punish sin and death. 
And so we look forward to that time. And he says this in verse 28, For this is my blood uh, of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. What Jesus was proclaiming was that the end of the old covenant had now come. And the introduction of this new covenant was now at hand. Which was actually promised to the nation of Israel back in Jeremiah's day. That at the, at the Messiah's first coming, he would institute the new covenant. The old covenant being the Old Testament, basically, and, and, and all the law and all those things. And the new covenant being more of grace and love. And he says this in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 34, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord of hosts. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. All because this new covenant was being put in place. The new covenant took, took the nation of Israel from the law of Moses to the law of Christ. In other words, it, it, it took them from the law and judgment to grace and love. It went from doing to done. <laughs> he was going to do it all. No more were people required to bring blood. He was going to shed his own blood, and this blood would would enter in or, or would introduce this new covenant. And he says that it would be for the remission of sins. You see, the only thing the old covenant could do was to cover their sin with the blood of animals. And they would have to do that year after year after year after year. And you can imagine how many millions of animals throughout those, those thousands of years that they were doing Passover, how many animals had to be slaughtered because of their sin. And it could only cover their sin. The word remission means forgiveness, means deliverance and liberty. And what Jesus was offering in this new covenant was a once and for all cleansing from sin, which the blood of animals could never do. Hebrews 9.15 says, and for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Man, that's what Jesus was looking forward to. Oh, he understood the sufferings. He understood that it would be the sufferings that he would have to go through so that we wouldn't have to. He understood that death on the cross meant that he would cleanse us from all sin because he would pay the penalty for our sin. He understood all of that. But he also understood the love and the grace that was now being attached to that. And he understood that he would be sending the Holy Spirit so that now every individual that receives him would have the Spirit of God in them and they would have this personal relationship, this coming together, this being one with the Father. And when we partake of the elements, we actually are taking him in symbolically so that he could permeate and be in every 
part of our body. Again, it's just symbolic, but we do that remembering what he did, but looking forward to what is ahead. And Jesus says in verse 29, And I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew or drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The statement speaks of a future gathering for those who are his. A future gathering that will take place with him in his Father's kingdom. Now, we do know that after the resurrection, when he showed himself to the disciples, when he met up with them, it does tell us in in a couple places that he did eat. He ate bread, fish, and honey. But nowhere is it indicated or recorded that he drank of the fruit of the vine. Even on the cross, when they wanted to give him some wine to dull the pain, he refuses it and he rejects it because of the promise that he made. He says, nope, not until we're all together will I ever do that again. Now, somewhere in between verses 29 and 30, Jesus shares John chapter 14 with the guys. Now, we're not going to turn there. But if you read chapter 14, he begins to talk to them. And again, it's just him and his guys. And he's talking some personal stuff with them after he's washed their feet, after all these things. And he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't tell you about this stuff. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. I'm the only way to the Father. And he tells them in that chapter, guys, I have to leave. But I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you the comforter, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. And it will be he who will now teach you in all truth. He will reveal everything to you. And that chapter is so special, guys. To understand that Jesus is just saying, hey, guys, I could only be in one place at one time while I'm here on earth. But when I leave, I will send you my spirit. And I love that portion because, again, it just reminds us that now Jesus is in each and every one of us who receive him. He gives us his spirit. And it is his spirit who who, who goes with us everywhere we go. And that just blows my mind because, again, if Jesus never died and he never gave us his spirit, we, we would all have to jam over to, to Jerusalem every year to go see him or whenever, unless he traveled. But we don't have to do that. His spirit is everywhere. And it's in each person that accepts Jesus into their life. And so he says these things to us in that portion of Scripture. And so in verse 30, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Now, I can kind of understand the disciples singing here, maybe even having a good time at this Passover, as as was the case normally. I'm sure they're tripping a little bit going, man, he's just talking some crazy stuff right now. It's just different. Did you feel it was different? Yeah, it was different today. The whole bread thing, the whole cup thing. Now, again, I could understand them because they didn't always get it. (laughs) Jesus had done and shared some pretty crazy and serious stuff with them in that upper room that day. And this Passover meal was just quite different than all the other ones. And again, I I understand that they didn't, didn't quite get it because they're living in the moment and we have the privilege of looking back and we have history and we have, have it written. We know the end of the story. We understand all of that because we're looking at these guys going, how can you not get it? Again, just like we don't always get it. Jesus had been talking about someone betraying him, the whole food exchange, the whole thing that, that, that Judas is leaving. And for us, it's obvious. We know what Judas is going to go do. But their mindset, their thinking is, oh, he's going to go take care of the poor. That's where his heart is at. They didn't realize, no, he's going to go betray him. 
And so I, can, I, I get it that they're singing, but why would Jesus be singing? Why would Jesus be a part of this whole thing? He is hours away from being betrayed by his friend. He is hours away from beginning to get tortured, and then he will be killed, and yet he's singing? <laughs> if you knew that you were going to be in some big-time trouble in a couple of hours, you probably would not be singing. Especially, you probably would not be singing praise songs or worship songs or hymns or anything like that. I doubt that. You're probably looking for a place to run and cover, you know. But he's there and he's singing with his guys. He knows that the cross is, 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 is right in front of him. He understands all of that. And yet he leads his guys in what is called the Hillel Psalms here. From Psalms 113 to 118 is probably what they're singing. And if you read those portions of Scripture, they are incredible, especially if you know that you will be dying soon because it's just kind of looking back and looking forward as to what, what to expect and the praise and the worship that's going on. Now, more than likely, Psalm 113 and 114 were sung during the Passover meal. But more than likely, at the end, when verse 30 is taking place, they're beginning to sing 115 to 118 as they're walking, as they're taking off, as it says, as they're headed over to the Mount of Olives. And as they are walking towards the Mount of Olives, again, it's probably like a mile, almost a mile and a half before you reach uh, the, the, the Mount of Olives. But you would go down, probably out the east gate, down over the Kidron uh the Brook Kidron, and you would get to the Garden of Gethsemane before you climbed all the way up to the Mount of Olives. And that's where Jesus would often go. Garden of Gethsemane was a place that he was familiar with, and he would become even way more familiar in, in our next study. But it says in verse 31, And Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. As it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen or been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So as they're walking, more than likely, they had finished singing. And Jesus says, all of you, all of you, not some of you, not one or two of you, all of you will be made to stumble because of me tonight. And he quotes to them Zechariah 13, 7, as it is written. It was already written that his guys would be scattered because of him. And he says, it's going to happen. <laughs> and he tells them, all of them will be made to stumble. Which means that they will be offended or tripped up. And, at, and that will cause them to forsake, desert, distrust, and fall away from him that night. He is telling them this before it ever happens. He is preparing them for that night of what's before them. All of you are going, to made, are going to be made to stumble because of me. He knows what's right around the corner. He knows what they will encounter because of him and the pressures that will come upon them because of him. He understands that. And all of you will be scattered like little sheep, man, scurrying around, trying to find safety. Now, I know that Peter always, always gets the raw end of the deal here, mainly because he's the one that has to say something. And I get that. You know, there's people that like to talk, right? And they have to say something. And he is the one that Jesus talks to personally, and he says, all, you know, but, 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 he, but he does say all of you, not just Peter. Peter's not the only one that forsakes Jesus tonight. But he does get the personal rebuke. 
And even though he knows this, even though he tells us here in the text that all of you, because it's written that all of you will be scattered, he gives them a promise in verse 32 where he says, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Even though he knows this, he gives them the promise of his resurrection. And he tells them, guys, I will meet up with you. I will meet up with you in Galilee. Instead of telling them, hey, if you ain't going to get my back, I'm not going to have your back. So, adios, amigos, all of you guys, you little babies, you little girls, get out of here. He doesn't say that to them. And I, and I trip out on that because he knows you and I all so well, right? When, when we want to do like Peter and we want to stand up and we say, never. And he says, <laughs> my poor little sheep, Zeke. <laughs> You're a coward. It's interesting because Jesus says all of you guys are going to be made to scatter. But for some reason, they don't hear this part where he says, but after I have raised again, or after I have been risen again, or however the wording is, I will go before you. They didn't quite catch that part. Jesus knows what will happen to them, just like he knows what happens to us when we fail in our faith. He knows it. And it's almost as though, if you're reading this, that he is saying to them, it's okay, I understand. It's okay, I understand. He was about to face one of the hardest times of his existence here on earth. And it would have been nice to have someone there with him. But he also knows that he has to do this alone, just like the Scriptures say. He understands that at one point in this whole process that his father would actually turn his back on him as well. He understands all that. And yet he tells these guys, hey, but, but I will be there for you. I will go before you. I will be there for you. Even though I have to go it alone, even though I have to face everything I have to face, I will be there for you. And Peter, <laughs> he answers and says, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never, I will never be made to stumble. <laughs> so there you got Peter, man. And you got to love Peter, man. You got to love him. And I know that, again, this is why he always gets the bum rap here. Because he has to say something. If he would have just like, I ain't saying nothing, man. I know, I, I know who I am. I'm probably going to just mess it all up. But he does, you know, instead of going, I'll probably be first, right, Lord? I'll probably jack all of this up and everybody will remember. Instead of saying that, he says, never. I'll never do that, God. I would never. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like us at times? <laughs> when you want to be so bold, when you want to take courage, and when you want to be up front, it's like, well, I'll never. And then it's like the pressure comes and you're like, ah. And he says, even if all these guys are little girls and they run, Lord, you know me, I'm a man. I would never. And he stands up. And this is like the beginning of his downfall. Because Jesus says, all of you. And he's saying, no, Lord. All of them. Not me. And that's where his sin begins, right here. <laughs> All of them, Lord, even if they're all made to stumble, you know I wouldn't. And, I, and you almost think like Jesus is just looking at him, man. Eyes of love, shaking his head, a silly little grin on his face going, Oh, hey, Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> Turn over to Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31 to 34. 
what's already happened as Jesus, as they're walking basically from, from the upper room down to, to, to the Garden of Gethsemane, before they arrive to the Garden of Gethsemane, more than likely as they've been walking to that place, they've already been disputing. The disciples have already been fighting or arguing who's going to be the greatest. They've already done all that. And Peter, again, probably came up on top going, all you guys are little babies. All you guys, I know I'm going to be the one that's up in front. And this is where, where Jesus, again, before, as he's going to talk to him and say, hey, Peter, this is what you're going to do. But he says this to him in verse 31 of, of Luke 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that you may be sifted or that you may be sift or that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen your brethren. And he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go be with you both to prison and to die. And he said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you have denied me three times. <laughs> he tells him, Satan has asked for you, Peter. Peter, he wants to sift you as wheat. Just like a sifter. He wants to put you in there and just... That's what he wants to do for you, Peter. He's already asked for you, Peter. But I've prayed for you, Peter. I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith should not fail. And it's almost like, but when it does, when you return, <laughs> meaning, I know what's going to happen, Pete. And when you return, I want you to strengthen your brothers. First Corinthians 10:12 says, "Therefore let none of you think let none of let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall." And that's Peter. That's Peter to a T right there. Because I know that we want to be strong. I know we want to take that stand. And Jesus knows what we're made of. He knows our flesh. He knows our tendencies. He knows our proclivities. He understands who we are. And he says, hey, I've prayed for you. I'll be there for you. I will go before you. And when you, when you return, strengthen your brothers. And that's why we, we should never, and we should be careful never to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think of ourselves thinking that we can never fall or that, that we can never fail because we're not exempt from that, not one of us. And not to look down on others when they do because we're so, we're so spiritual. Oh, I would never do that. It's like, be careful. Be really careful. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if you see... If a, if a man is overtaken in trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. What Peter didn't understand that day, that evening, is that he would have one of the worst nights of his life. And instead of humbling himself when he says, all of you are going to be made to, to, to stumble, instead of saying, Okay, Lord, then I need your strength right now. I need God to strengthen my faith. I need God to strengthen who I am. He doesn't do that. Instead, he makes himself better than all the other guys. If all of those guys fail you, Lord, I would never. And that's when Jesus turns to him and back in our text, and he says, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And it wasn't like, Peter, you're going to deny me once. Peter, you're going to deny me twice. He says, three times. Three times, Peter. It's already in the evening. 
It's going to be a long night, Peter. But it, before the rooster crows, what is it, about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning? That's how the rooster next door does for me. Stupid rooster. But the fact of the matter is, before that rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And I'm sure Peter's going, these guys would. I would never. And that's why he turns around and he tells them, Peter said to them, even if I have to die for you, even if I have to die for you, Lord, I would never deny you, ever. And I think that's why we can really, really relate to Peter. A lot of us can. Because when he tells them, you're going to deny me three times, and in essence, Jesus is saying, Peter, you're going to be more of a coward than all these cats are. You're going to be the worst one. To, you're going to have the worst night. All these guys are going to do the same thing in a lot of ways, but you're verbally going to do it. <laughs> and you will go down in history <laughs> because of it. And so I know that we can often relate to Peter because, again, so often we say the same thing because we want to be and follow hard after Jesus. We want to do all those things. We want to do every little thing. And then when the pressure comes and the trial comes, it's like, ah, oh, geez, maybe I shouldn't. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And more so, the flesh is weak as when pride and arrogance are in the forefront of who we are. And humility has taken a back seat. You see, humility would have went or would have gone a long way here with Peter in this situation. But humility was not always a strong suit. <laughs> Even if I have to die for you. And so Peter doesn't back down. Again, it's like, Peter, stop. You're just getting deeper, deeper in your stupid sin right now. He's told you all of you guys, can't you accept that? He says, no, I can't. And even if I have to die for him, I will do that. Jesus says, you will be made to stumble. He goes, I will not be made to stumble. And that's when the rest of the disciples chime in as well. Oh, we're not either. <laughs> Typical guys, right? The Bible tells us in Romans 3, 16, or 3, uh, 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision to the flesh to fulfill its lust. And I know that sometimes it is easier said than done to say, I will take a stand. Be very careful. Again, we should strive to stand firm, to be immovable, to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I understand all that. And when you have messed up on that, <laughs> come back and strengthen your brethren. None of us are above stumbling. None of us are as strong as we think we are. And that's why it's so important that we find ourselves in Christ, in Him. As we've been talking a lot about, that's why it's so important to press in. And as we press in, we can press on. And even though we stumble, we fall, fail, and turn our back on Jesus, He will never turn His back on us. He will always go before us as it says in verse 32. And he will meet us right where we stumbled and right where we fell. <laughs> he will meet us right there. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For the righteous man may fall seven times and rises again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. What a picture of Peter and Judas here. Hebrews 13.5, the last portion, it says, For he says, for he himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Father, even as we come before you, God, Lord, these scriptures, they humble us, Lord. They should humble us, Lord. Because oftentimes, Lord God, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, Lord God, and we sin. In so many ways. 
And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us tonight or this morning for thinking like that, for acting like that, for putting on those airs, Lord, that we might be better than someone else, Lord. And just like Peter, Lord, who, who began to sin by not accepting your word, that all of them would fall. Lord, please forgive us, Lord, when we don't accept what you tell us, Lord. Lord, that we would understand, Lord God, how frail we are and how much we need you, God. And even this morning as we partake in communion, Lord, as we have this special time with you to be intimate, oh Lord, and whether we take it by ourselves or take it with a friend or, or a family member or, or, or however the, the thing is, Lord God, that we would spend that time with you this morning, Lord, as we commune with you, as we allow you, Lord God, to minister to our hearts during this time of communion, Lord. I pray that it would be special. I pray, God, that we would check ourselves and find ourselves, Lord God, lost in you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your provision. We thank you, Lord, that you, with fervent desire, you desired to go through this, Lord, not just because of the suffering and you knew what that would accomplish, but because of this new covenant that we are a part of, Father, to be able to have the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us who know Jesus. And I pray that this morning, Lord, if there's anybody who knows, who doesn't know you, Lord, that, Father, they would, they would not partake for one, but that they would come to know you so that they would partake, Lord. And if there's any guilt that is hovering over any of my brothers and sisters who feel like they are, they are not worthy, that right now they would repent and turn to you because you're the one that makes them worthy. They can't. That they might be able to partake and just be intimate with you. And so, Lord, we give you this time that it would be a holy time, a precious time. And we honor you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.